This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning, it's John Moore. This is The Breakfast Wrap for this Friday, the 5th of May. The forecast for today, cloudy, a slight chance of some showers this morning, a mixture of sun and cloud as we move forward, and a very pleasant high of 14 degrees. Here are the five things you need to know. Number one, the Leafs lose game two to the Panthers. Number two, Rogers launching a cell phone price war. Number three, countdown to the coronation. Number four, Justin Trudeau vows to fight one more election. And number five, GTA home prices rebound. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. 508, eight degrees. And I hesitate to declare this to be a sweet, sweet Friday because there's nothing sweet about what happened last night. The uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. As uh, Kevin McGran reports in The Star, the headline reads, Maple Leafs dig themselves a big hole with another baffling home loss against the Panthers. And listen, I, I, I don't even hesitate to provide analysis. I have none. I will let those who understand these things weigh in, and I'll let you have whatever opinion you may have. Um, because it's, it's a little early to go all Toronto on this. Well, that's it. Show's over. That's it. Leafs are disappointing us once again. However, it's, you know, it was a home game. Everybody was all hot-wired for things last night. And it didn't play out the way we want. And so now the Leafs are definitely going to have to struggle to stage a comeback. Um, let's listen in on a report that was filed by Mike Walker on game two. Leafs Nation had high hopes right up to the final seconds, but ended up walking away from Maple Leaf Square shocked and disappointed as the Florida Panthers pull off another big win to take a 2-0 series lead. A couple of defensive lapses and uh, things turned south. Well, they got their work cut out from but Florida's a good team and, and they, they got game three. Feeling pretty sad. Feeling six, baby. Like we could have played better, but it's okay. Second game, not over yet. The Leafs pounced on the Panthers early with a pair of goals in the first from Alexander Kerfoot and Ryan O'Reilly. Back in comes Barkov, shooting, scores! But the Panthers would claw back, responding with three straight goals. From there, the Leafs unable to get the puck past Bobrovsky, falling 3-2. They had the chances, they were shooting, it's uh, Bobrovsky. Yeah, yeah, he's crazy. How do you, how do you, how do you beat that guy? This one's disappointing, so, you know, we're rolling early in the game and... Uh, just give it back to them. Those are those are things that we haven't we haven't done, and you just frankly you just can't do. The second round series now shifts to Florida for a critical game three. It's a big opportunity for us. We need to show people how hard we work, how we come back to nothing, free nothing. Doesn't matter for us. While the Leafs continue to struggle on home ice in the playoffs, they have a much better record on the road. So far, undefeated. Nervous, but I think we can pull it out. Well, it was a tough one tonight. I, I think we're going to come back. We're going to we're going to win two in Florida. I'm very confident we're going to win this series. We got to take two in Florida. I don't see it being a problem. It's going to be tough, but it's going to be it's going to happen. Fans now praying the Leafs can pull off two big wins in sunny Florida. Yeah. All right. So there's uh, Mike Walker reporting, and clearly Toronto Maple Leafs fans nowhere near. Uh, getting ready to prepare themselves for some level of disappointment. So we'll see how this um, plays out. It was interesting. I was reading some coverage yesterday, and 
there was a big push that when when Toronto goes to Florida, that we would play a Saturday night game. And for whatever reason, officials in the NHL and in Florida and with the Panthers didn't want that to happen. I guess there's a competing sports event. Let's face it, we live and bleed hockey. And for the Americans, it's kind of an artisanal affair. Um, so we're not going to have a Saturday night game, um, but we are off to Florida. We're doing the road thing and uh, there's a Sunday night game and we will have full analysis on Monday morning. How's that? It's 5-11 and a new poll out today and you can take polls for, you know, for what they're worth, if they're worth anything. Viewpoints.ca um, Corporation, the latest poll about the Toronto mayor's race and it shows that Olivia Chow has a commanding lead, 32%. Mark Saunders comes in after her at 19%. Brad Bradford at 15%. Josh Matlow, 11%. Anna Bailau at 10%. And Mitzi Hunter, I cannot quite figure out Mitzi Hunter, I have to confess. Um, you know, she has to quit as an MPP in order to run for mayor. And I don't know what her strategy is, if she's just sort of in it as a placeholder and she's going to throw her support to somebody and then just, to, you know, go back to the job that she has. I don't think she has any hope of winning the mayoralty. Um, I find Olivia Chow's leading position, I guess it's name recognition. I'm not sure what it is, but um, somewhat perplexing. Um, but, you know, this race is anybody's to win. I've spent an awful lot of time talking to friends who know way more about me than about the municipal landscape. And the real fear a lot of people have is we're going to have sort of an accidental mayor that you'll go into the voting booth and say, okay, I'll tick this box. And I have no idea if this person has any hope of winning. And then somebody with 1% advantage over everybody else is going to end up becoming the mayor. However, I also suspect that as we count down to election day, June 26th, that some people are going to start dropping out because they'll just see the advantage of saying, okay, listen, I can't win this, but I'd like to support the person who will win this. And maybe I get a good committee assignment, or maybe I get to run for MP or MPP or whatever these people's plans are. Um, but then you get into the real struggle, I think, is going to be on the left. And so does Matt Lowe look at this and say, okay, not this time. I was going to run in three years anyway, so not this time. Uh, I go with Chow. And then Chow wins commandingly. And then, you know, Josh Matlow gets to be deputy mayor or something exciting like that. Rogers, this is a really interesting story. And we're going to talk about it in greater detail when we hook up with our friends at CP24 just moments from now for our morning uh, segment called What Toronto's Talking About. But as you know, there's been some movement in the cell phone industry and uh, Rogers buying Freedom Mobile and then Videotron um, purchasing, if I'm remembering everything correctly here. Anyway, Videotron moved in, became a bigger player, acquires more territory outside of Quebec. Rogers now uh, has a fairly commanding portion of the pie. And Rogers has announced that it's going to be offering some new packages, which are cheaper. And, you know, nothing says fun for cell phone users like the potential for a price war. 
And I choose my words very, very carefully because I suppose our own C-suite's like, okay, don't get, don't get everybody excited about the idea of a price war. You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. More in the morning continues on News Talk 1010, Toronto. I can see her lying back in her satin dress in a room where you do what you don't confess. 5.37 on a Friday morning. And Gordon Lightfoot is returning to his home city of Aurelia. And if I understand things as they've been sketched out, he's going to rest at St. Paul's United Church in Aurelia, now known as St. Paul's Center, apparently. He was a boy soprano in the choir there, and actually his first mentor was a choir director who told him that he had a good voice and he should think about a career in music. He was still a boy soprano when he debuted at the age of 12 at Massey Hall. And of course, he'd go on to play. I think the figure I saw this week was he played Massey Hall 172 times. But I always call it the house that Gord built, even though, yeah, I get it. Massey Hall dates back to the 19th century. But when I was talking with Gordon Lightfoot and preparing our documentary special, which we're going to be rebroadcasting this weekend on the iHeartRadio network, I said, here's how I see the reopening of the renovated Massey Hall. And it's going to be the house is going to go quiet. The lights are going to come down. And a pin spot, it's going to come up and they're going to say, ladies and gentlemen, Gordon Lightfoot. And it's going to be Gordon Lightfoot standing there with a guitar. And then he's going to start singing. And that is exactly how it happened. And incidentally, if you haven't seen the renovated Massey Hall, it's fantastic. One of the downsides of a lot of the houses of uh, performance that were built, you know, probably before about 1920 is their public areas are crap. And so, you know, the renovations at Massey Hall have created all these different areas where you can gather and have a drink and where you can actually breathe. Um, You know, the Ed Mervish Theater, for example, during before and intermission is an absolute mob scene. Um, Princess of Wales Theater is a different affair and the renovated Massey Hall, a different affair. But back to paying tribute to Gordon Lightfoot. Have you had a Gordon Lightfoot tune in your head? going round and round for the last couple of days. I realized this week that I could probably listen to the Canadian Railroad Trilogy every day, once or twice, for the rest of my life, because it's absolutely spectacular. But there is just something so textured and rich about Gordon Lightfoot's lyrics and music that it's uh, entirely forgivable since his passing, if you have had one of or more of his tunes just going round and round and round in your head. But this final send-off will be happening on Sunday. And like I said, if I'm looking at the timeline, they're going to be welcoming people to come and walk past Gordon Lightfoot's casket at this uh, St. Paul's Center in Aurelia from 1 to 8 p.m. And then I think that the family is holding a very, very private service, probably on Monday, but uh, who knows? Apparently he is going to be cremated, but his remains will stay in Aurelia. 
So Justin Trudeau yesterday giving the keynote at a liberal convention in Ottawa. And so if there's any takeaway from this, it would be that Justin Trudeau has effectively signaled that he's not going anywhere and he's going to run again. Now, it's a bit like Joe Biden. You know, a lot of people think that Joe Biden is a little long in the tooth to be thinking about running for re-election. He would be 82 upon his second inauguration. And yet he can't say, you know what, everybody, I'm not going to run. I'm, I'm out because that would completely um, nix whatever currency he has and his ability to get anything done between now and the end of his first mandate. Ditto for Justin Trudeau. Now, I happen to think that Justin Trudeau is very much running and has no intention of stepping aside. I know that Thomas Mulcair has said on numerous occasions, I think Tim Hudak's on the same page, that they think Justin Trudeau is a spent force and that he's just sort of running out the clock and waiting for whichever successor might come along to take over. But I happen to think Justin Trudeau and Jean Chrétien have a lot in common, which is they like the job, they would like to hold on to it as long as they possibly can, and there's a bit of ego involved. Understandably, if you're going to be in politics, you, you necessarily need to have an ego because you have to think, I am so fantastic that everybody should vote for me. So Justin Trudeau is pretty heavily invested. Also, I don't know what he's going to do after he's the prime minister because he's still relatively young and it's not like, you know, he's not a lawyer, so he can't go to a law firm and become some kind of a rainmaker. But last night in his keynote address to the faithful, uh, he talked about Pierre Polyev and went after him for, as he said, quote, building anger. And so I guess, you know, it's almost a reverse, not a reverse, but it's, it's another facet of sunny ways that he's trying to paint Pierre Polyev as being forever in grievance, forever angry, forever stoking Canadians to be angry about one thing or another. And Justin Trudeau's offering himself up as the antidote to that. Here's another great debatable today, and it'll definitely be on the agenda. Let's see, who's on the morning brief today? Deb Hutton. Good stuff. She's already up because I got an email from her. She's already going over the files. She'll be here at 620 to offer her analysis on the day's big stories. And this will be on her agenda, and it's definitely on the roundtables at 745, 845. The CRTC is actually considering whether or not Fox News should be banned from Canadian cable packages. EGAL Canada filed an appeal to the CRTC saying that Fox News has promoted hatred against uh, gender minorities, and so it should be banned. And my quick word on this would be, I'm not a, you know, um, I know a lot of people doubt my libertarian bona fides, but uh, when it comes to something like this, whatever, you know, let any broadcaster in, um, even, you know, if somebody is actively promoting hatred, then I like my hate out in the open, as I've always said. I always said, you know, Ernst Zundel. Uh, I would defend Ernst Zundel's right to wear that stupid hard hat and say all the stupid things that he ever said, because I just want all of that stuff to be out in the open so that we can know that it's there and uh, we can fight it if we want. And when it comes to Fox, you know, bring it on. Uh, I don't think that we're going to be noticeably damaged by the presence of Fox in the Canadian broadcast universe. And for those people 
who I know are going to text me now and say, well, you know, Fox, it's just the right wing version of CNN. It's not really, actually. Uh, CNN was not compelled to pay almost a billion dollars for lying. Subscribe today and always hear the latest episode of The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. All right, so let's listen in on a portion of Justin Trudeau's speech last night. And, uh, you know, bear in mind, he's speaking to a liberal convention, so it's not exactly a tough crowd. They either say investing in Canadians is a waste of money or that our policies are too woke. Too woke? Hey, Pierre Polyev, it's time for you to wake up. All right. <laughs> Before you go, go. Yeah, exactly. Maybe you could do a super mix for that a little later. That was a little lame, wasn't it? I've never been the biggest fan of Justin Trudeau speaking, to be perfectly honest. I have to be the only person who, um, I mean, people were losing their minds over his eulogy for his father, and it was very heartfelt. But I never quite understood that that day Justin Trudeau steps up to the rostrum and delivers a eulogy for his father, and people start saying, he needs to be the prime minister. He, this is the arrival of a grand figure in Canadian history. I thought, no, that's a nice tribute to his dad, but... Uh, I don't necessarily see a prime minister in waiting. Turned out I was it's wrong. It's time for you to wake up. Okay. See, I'm a, I, I have to say I'm a big fan of Jacques Chrétien and Jacques Chrétien is speaking. And I always remember the speech he delivered at a liberal convention, uh, the one at which they ended up electing Stéphane Zillon, which was one of the dumbest things the party ever did. But Jean Chrétien just came out and it was such a barn burner. That was the famous speech where he said, he was talking about Stephen Harper. He said, can I call you Steve? And it was just so dripping in mockery. And uh, it was absolutely hilarious. That was also the convention, incidentally. Just before Chrétien spoke, uh, John Turner spoke. And the you know funniest ending I've seen to a political speech where John Turner said, well, that's enough of me. Goodbye. <laughs> and he just walked off the stage. So, uh, enter stage uh, left. Um, you know, the king tomorrow gets uh, crowned, and it is going to be quite the show. I still think it's a bit too Pirates of Penzance for me, but I'm going to wake up probably quite early in the morning to watch the whole thing happen because there's an aspect of history to this. And as monarchists will point out tediously, he is the King of Canada. CTV's Joy Malbin joins us from London as we prepare for the coronation. Good morning, Joy. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. So we're already well into daytime on Friday in the UK. How are things feeling there? You know what? There is a real air of excitement, and uh, this could be one of the biggest security operations in British history and quite the spectacle. You point out but this is historic. I mean, this has not happened in seven years. Not, not many of us were around to actually see a Queen Elizabeth crown. And you're right, it's full of pomp and pageantry. I, I was doing some late night hits for CTV National News, and I saw them doing the rehearsals. And wow, you know, there's something the British can really do. And, and that is the, uh, the pomp and circumstance. It was amazing to see the uh, King's Guard practicing, uh, mounted police, our own RCMP will be here. Uh, and and uh, it, it's going to be 
quite the spectacle, to be honest with you. Uh, But it is a deeply religious ceremony. Now, King Charles has said he wanted to make it shorter. Um, The guest list is smaller, 2,000 people. Uh, And, you know, he, he hopes to make it less expensive. But we're you know, it's being noted here that it is expected to be in the millions of pounds for this major historic event. And of course, Joy, there's all these aspects of this. Um, you know, the the crown jewels, the crown itself have to be fetched from the Tower of London and then escorted to where Charles and Camilla are going to be crowned. There's this anointment with uh, sacred oil, which apparently comes from Jerusalem, and that portion is actually going to be done behind a screen. I mean, it's going to be an interesting spectacle. I know. I mean, I, uh, it, it almost feels like we're going to church in a way, uh, because you mentioned the holy oil. Uh, this He will be wearing robes that are hundreds of years old. He will be behind a screen, uh, the holy oil um, from Jerusalem. And it's supposed to symbolize going from a man to a monarch, where he will promise to serve this country. Uh, but you're right. I mean, the grandkids will be involved. They will be helping with these ancient robes, these golden robes. And and just think about it. The, the parade through the National Mall in, in the uh, in gold uh, coaches and the Diamond Jubilee coaches and these crowns. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Prince uh, Charles will be wearing um, Prince Edward's uh, crown filled with semi-precious rubies and jewels. Uh, Queen um, Camilla, as we now call her, uh, she will be wearing Queen Mary's crown, a bit of recycling going on, 2,200 diamonds. So it is going, it's going to be such an historic event. But, you know, like all these royal events, it's not without controversy, that's for sure. We do expect protesters um, people who say, look, the, the monarchy has no relevance anymore. We, we don't want a king. What we do want is, uh, you know, someone we can elect. We want a democracy. Uh, so they will be out. Uh, but, you know, with, a, with this massive police pro, uh, presence, uh, they will make sure that the protests are controlled and peaceful. Joy, thanks so much. Good to have you. Enjoy the show. Keep calm and carry on. (laughs) Joy Malbin, CTV national correspondent who is in London. The Queen was crowned in 1953. Her um, father died in 1952, but they waited to crown her. And an aspect of that was that her, let's see, the uh, mother of the previous king, if I'm remembering all this correctly, um, was ailing. And she said to uh, Queen Elizabeth, so this would be Queen Elizabeth's grandmother, because the Queen Mother lived until like 2003. Uh, So her grandmother said, if I die, do not change the coronation. I don't want you to go into mourning. I don't want you to be crowned or, you know, wearing black. I don't want you to delay the coronation. And sure enough, she died shortly before the coronation ceremony. And then there's a personal aspect for my family in all of this is that my parents had decided to get married in June of 1953. And that whole thing, it's, I guess it's a bit like these people on the weekend who ended up having to turn on the hockey game at their weddings. Uh, my parents were kind of, their wedding was a bit eclipsed by the fact that the queen was being crowned. It's 5.54. We'll hear more about the coronation from our royal correspondent at 6.35 this morning. And incidentally, if you ever hear, you know, like our conversation with Joy Melbourne right there, uh, something that you'd like to hear more of or you want to share with somebody else, every hour of our show 
is a standalone podcast. So you can download any hour or all of them if you just want to revel in it. Um, you can do so at uh, Newstalk1010.com or iHeartRadio as well. That's The Breakfast Wrap. Thanks a lot for listening. My name is John Moore. I hope we'll talk again soon. You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.